You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 140, McChesney Unchained, coming to you from the DMVR.com. Make sure you go on DMVR and check out all the fantastic content. Uh, and make sure you get down to the bar off of Colfax and support all your local Colorado teams. Again, that's the DMVR.com. Bringing you episode 140 of McChesney Unchained as we roll here uh, <clears throat> at the end of the college football season and the beginning of the NFL playoff season, which is the best time of year, in my opinion. Um, I'm your host, Matt McChesney, as always, and uh, today's show is not going to be too long. We're going to get right to the point and talk about all these different topics and then get you out of here. All right, so right off the bat, college football national title. Um, good game, not great. I mean, the, the defenses definitely came to play in the first half. Both teams were trying to feel each other out. Uh, opened up in the second half, and uh, Georgia pulled away, you know, the, the pick at the end. Anybody who had the over uh, or anybody who had the under was was definitely counting their points at that point. Uh, the pick of the end put them at 52 total, and I'm pretty sure that the over-under was 52 and a half. So that's <laughs> that's crazy to say the least. Uh, I, I always question how Vegas does that. Um, but good for Georgia. They win their first title in, since 1980. Um, I, I definitely wanted to see Georgia win, although I thought Alabama would. Uh the SEC dominance cannot be understated at this point. I just watched a special on the SEC commissioner and how much, you know, how much uh, pull this guy really has. And boy, it's a lot. And, you know, the, the title game was great and the playoff is great. I love the four teams. It's better than the BCS. There's no doubt. Uh, I played in an era where the BCS was going on. And, you know, if, if the team I was on would have gotten to a playoff, who knows what happens? So, uh, I definitely prefer the playoff to the BCS, no doubt. Um, that said, from what I'm understanding, this weekend in Indianapolis, trying to figure out a playoff expansion with all the commissioners in the room and everybody there, uh, they had 12 teams on the table and couldn't figure out how to do it and stayed at four. So that that is a travesty, in my opinion. You know, from what I was hearing, the the games will be played on campus, very similar to NFL playoff games. And just think about like if CU can ever pull their head out of their ass and, and play college football again up there in Boulder consistently. Um, imagine them being like an, a 10 or 11 win team and hosting Notre Dame or Clemson or, you know, <laughs> a 
Alabama, you know, or, or them going on the road to Ohio State or Michigan or something like that. That's that's pretty damn cool. I think that would be pretty awesome for college football. The fact that they couldn't get it figured out, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but they've got to figure out something. Uh, to be completely honest with you, just to, you know, from a from a broad view here, everybody needs to go to 16 teams or more, um, which means that one of the conferences needs to go away, which is probably the Big 12. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing the Big 10 purge some of the Pac-12 teams, uh, the ones that can qualify academically in the Big 10 standard. Uh, that would be Colorado, Washington, USC, and Oregon. Those are the four that are, that are at the top of that list. I, I'm just saying, I, I don't think that it's great for college football to always just have one conference playing for the big for the big one. Uh, every now and then you get a, a different team in there. You Clemson won a couple of times, but SC hasn't won a national title since 04. That's the last Pac-12 team. Uh, Ohio State before this year was the only Big Ten team to ever make the playoff. Uh, no Pac-12 uh, Pac has made the playoff twice with Washington and Oregon. Uh, both those teams lost, uh, you know, respectively in the championship game and then in the first round. So I just think that the SEC has got such a grip on college football. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Although I will say this, they damn sure do it right and they care. Uh, and that's really my point with college football is I know that Colorado and and I, look, Utah went from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. They they hit a home run. But Colorado making the lateral move uh, to the the Pac-12 back in the day over some you know some pocket change when it comes down to how much money they're making. Um, I don't really think they thought about it too hard. And unfortunately, they went to a conference where they don't really care about football unless you're really really good. Uh, whereas, you know, the Big 12, the majority of those places are sold out every week. The Big 10, majority of those places are sold out every week. So when you have when you're four and eight and you have the second best conference attendance and everybody shows up and, and they love it. Well, that's because we have Big 12 roots and it football matters in Boulder. Sometimes it matters to the fans. That's for damn sure. So to the fans and the players and the coaches, it matters uh, to the administration. I don't know if it does. And after watching all the, you know, the, the stuff on the SEC this weekend and the SEC, you know, stroke fest that it was, look, man, why would you not want to go play in that conference? I mean, look, I work with tons of players. We've got guys at LSU and Texas A&M and, you know, offers from Tennessee and so on and so Florida. And, I mean, if I'm looking at my guys and in here and I'm like, look, if you want to go to the NFL – that's the feeder league right there. There's going to be more guys drafted from the SEC this year than any other conference again. And if you don't think that's the case, then, I mean, I, I'd love to know what you're smoking. So, I'm look, Georgia, congratulations on the national title. It's awesome. Uh, Alabama and Georgia will be right back there next year. Um, if Georgia ever gets really good quarterback play, they're going to be fucking scary. You put, you put a Heisman Trophy winner on Georgia's team, and they might beat everybody by three touchdowns. Although I will say this, uh, Stenson Bennett is a walk-on who had to transfer, who had to go to JUCO and come back to Georgia, is buried on the depth chart, didn't transfer, didn't quit. Uh, you know, no, no coach fucked him over, none of that. Uh, and, you know, and he hoisted a national title uh, trophy the other night. And, you know, a lot of college football, in my opinion, is about perseverance. 
and, you know, overcoming hardships and turning into a man. It's man building. It's not just college football, you know, NFL player building. Most of these guys won't play in the league. So I will say this, that there's times where transferring is the right idea. And there's times where holding the course and, and keeping your nose to the grindstone is probably a better fit. And that's, you know, all these kids entering the transfer portal left and right all over college football. I would say that give it a year, unless you're a graduate, if you're a graduate transfer, you've earned the right, but give it a year. If you're, if you're a scholarship player, you just got there, you've been there for a year, give it a year, see where you're at, continue to grow, continue to mature uh, and continue to work. And we'll see where you're at a year from now. Uh, now that's just my opinion. Everybody can do what they want and they will. Uh, okay. So college football season's over. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Buffs and the Rams moving forward in the next year. Uh, there's junior days at the end of the month here, and a bunch of the Dungeon family at 6-0 down here is on their way to the junior days to meet, you know, a bunch of the new coaches up in Boulder and the new staff up in Fort Collins. So we'll keep you posted on that throughout the offseason, to say the least. Um, all right, Broncos. Before we get into the playoff picture, Broncos fire Vic Fangio and his staff. Patty Boy's gone. Tom McMahon is gone, and thank God. Um, the next head coach, in my opinion, I would love to see a younger offensive-minded head coach that can relate to these players and get them to play hard as hell every single weekend, but score more than 15 to 18 points a game. In today's NFL, with the rules catered to the offense the way they are, the fact that we can't score 20 points a game or more is a fucking travesty. And I understand it's all about quarterback play, but it's also about play calling and execution and buying into the pieces that you have. And, you know, after watching Drew Locke play on Sunday and him finishing out the season, I hope that he's still here next year and he's competing and he's the backup. Um, he's cheap. Keep him around. I don't know what you're going to do with Teddy. I don't really care if he's here in camp. He's here. But in my opinion, he's trade bait. Um, and then if you're going to go try and get one of these high profile quarterbacks, that's all well and good. But what system are we putting them in? Like, if you're going to go get Kirk Cousins, and I know that that name makes people cringe, but I'm not going to sit here and put all of our eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket. I don't think Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay. Green Bay might win the Super Bowl. They got good chances than anybody. Uh, he's coming off probably another MVP season with the highest touchdown to interception ratio again in the league, which is insane. Um, I, I, why would you leave that situation if you're him? I, I really think he's just leveraging. He's smart enough to know that he has leverage and he can use the media for his message, just like a head coach can. So I don't think he leaves. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and act like he's going to come to Denver. Russell Wilson, that's a different story. If he comes to Denver, I think that they could build around Russell in a very productive manner if they run the hell out of the football. It can't be six. It can't be new school Russell Wilson that hasn't made a Super Bowl. I want old school Russell Wilson that turns around and hands off to a dominating running game and hits play action shots down the field and isn't asked to do everything. That guy goes to the Super Bowl with a good defense. So the, the new school Russell Wilson gets you to the wild card round. These are facts. So uh, I, I think that there's a lot of potential out there for the next quarterback here in Denver, but it all comes down to the offensive scheme and system. If they come out and they, they hire Dan Quinn, why? What are we doing? I like Gerard Mayo is a linebacker coach in New England. That guy's a, a head coaching candidate in Denver. And, and, and Eric Bianami in Kansas City, do I think he could be a great head coach? Absolutely, I do. He's one of my coaches in college. I can only imagine the, 
the maturity and the knowledge that he's gained since that point. Uh, and EB can motivate anybody to run through a wall. So, but at the same time, these first time head coaches, you know, the last time we've done that, the last two times, it hasn't worked out very well. So I would imagine that they're going to sit back and go, okay, we need somebody with experience that's been through the ringer that isn't getting their first taste of head coaching on this job. They can't do that again. So I don't, I don't really know who the next guy is going to be. I wish I did because I put my mortgage on, uh, on that in, in Vegas. But at the same time, I just hope it's offensive-minded. And I hope that they come in here and they can actually look at the roster and understand that if they are built to run the ball 55, 60% of the time, control the time of possession, win with defense, and score 21, 24 points a game, and, and win. And put your, put your quarterback in a position to have a lot of single high safety and man coverage looks because they have to stack the box to stop Javante Williams. I mean, Javante Williams next year should have a Jonathan Taylor-type season. That's how the Broncos win. You know, the Colts shit all over themselves the last two weeks of the season. If they don't, and they go to Jacksonville and win, they're in the playoffs. And I think they're scary if they get in because they can beat anybody. At the same time, you know, they, they've got some warts, no doubt. I think the Broncos are a better team than the Colts, top to bottom, with the exception of head coach, play caller, running back, quarterback. So, you know, I, I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, if you find a quarterback that can feed the correct system and you you give the ball to Javante Williams 300 times uh, through the passing game and the running game, which I know sounds like a lot of carries and touches now, but back in the day, that's nothing for a number one back. So you feed him like that and you get rid of Melvin Gordon and you have a third down back maybe, and you just highlight this kid and this system, I think they can be really successful. I think he can go for 1,800 yards and 18 touchdowns. That kid is a fucking animal. So it's just a matter of what you're willing to do. I, I know that fans want to see 30 points a game and throwing the ball over the yard, but we don't have the quarterback for that. And honestly, I don't know if we have the receivers for that either because Judy didn't have a touchdown this year. I know a lot of it's on the quarterback, but still, no touchdowns. I don't know if you can yell bust faster than yelling bust. Sutton and Patrick haven't done shit since they got their contracts. So, what, is it the most overrated wide receiver room in, in the National Football League? I'm not going to say yes, but I'm damn sure not going to sit here and say no. And everybody trying to take their fanboy pants off. You know, I love how offended everybody gets, like, they're the general manager or it's their money. You don't play for the fucking Broncos. You never did. What are you getting all offended for every time somebody says something bad about Jerry Judy or Colton Sutton? Do you want Jerry Judy to have 10 touchdowns or none? Okay, that's the end of the conversation. 10. So let's demand more. If he's a bust, he's a bust. Move on. Let's not just get all fucking up in arms because you're a fanboy. So I'd like to think the Broncos can figure this all out. At the same time, though, it's been a rough five going on six years. And if they don't solve the quarterback position and they keep recycling these old heads at offensive coordinator that, you know, aren't really committed to what the Broncos need to do, in my opinion, of course, to win football games, then this is going to continue to happen. So that being said, the ownership situation, I don't know if the ownership situation necessarily plays into the head coach situation. I think anybody would be happy to get this job. It's an unbelievably good job. I think it's a top 10 job in, in the NFL. Um, you know, just from a, a historical standpoint, the Denver Broncos is about as good as a job as you can get. Um, now, that said, 
if you have all these different ownership groups putting together packages to essentially what like go to the NFL and say we should be the group that that buys the Broncos one of them has Peyton Manning in it and one of them has Elway in it who do you take who do you want with Broncos country would you rather have Peyton Manning as an owner or would you have rather have John Elway as an owner. And it's amazing to me how many people are like still angry at Elway for going to seven Super Bowls and winning three. And what are we talking about? John Elway is the Denver Broncos. Let's just get that straight. Peyton Manning is a Colt first. He's a great Bronco, but he's always the number two. And I'm not saying he's not a better player. Peyton's probably a better player than John. I'd love to see John in the era that Peyton played in. I mean, you can't breathe on a quarterback now and, and without getting a 15-yard penalty. They used to try and decapitate seven every weekend. It's the only way you could stop him. So I'm just saying, John Elway is the Denver Broncos. He built this franchise. Um, you know, Craig Morton took the, the Broncos to a Super Bowl back in the day, and they lost to the Doomsday uh, defense and the, the Dallas Cowboys in, in the 70s. But other than that, every single significant uh, – time period and the entire Broncos history number seven has been involved and he's the reason that Peyton was here in the whole goddamn in, in, the, in the goddamn place so he he got Peyton to Denver uh, and he was the architect of two Super Bowl teams and one championship he put together one of the absolute best offenses that's ever played and then two years later knowing that he needed to win with defense put together one of the best defenses that's ever played after that did he have struggles yeah, he did. He definitely did as a general manager. There were struggles, but I will say this. It's on the player to play. It's on the coaches to evaluate and the general manager to make sure they make the right picks, but it's on the player to show up and actually fucking play. It's on Shane Ray to develop. It's on Paxton Lynch to develop. Like they've got to show up and do the work. You can't just be like, oh, everything's the coach's fault because fuck boy wouldn't show up and do the work. That's not the way this works. It's got to be 50-50. So, or, or more so on the player, in my opinion, than the staff. The staff can't make you come in early. They can't make you do things. They can just suggest. And if you don't do them, you don't do them. It's not like he wasn't trying to win. I mean, they went out and spent money and attracted free agents and did everything they could to win. That said, the Paxton Lynch pick definitely scared him away from Josh Allen and others. So, I would rather have Elway... Uh, at the tip of the spear here to own the Broncos. It just makes sense to me. Uh, but at the same time, I understand why people would want Peyton. Uh, they're, they're more enamored with that time period of the Broncos. Um, but I will, I will ask you to step back and look at the history of the Denver Broncos and who's more important to the franchise. And I don't really think that it's a very big debate, to be completely honest with you. Okay, episode 140, McChesney Unchained here rolls. I'm your host, Matt McChesney. Uh, we're down here at the uh, at the facility at Six Zero Football Academy, and you know uh, the the combine and pro day training have been have been popping off, and we just uh, signed up the big guard and center from from CU Boulder, Kari Kush. Uh, he starts with he's at the the uh, the All Star game down in Orlando right now, dominating, and we got a big lineman Josh Bruger from from Texas Tech that's coming in starts at the end of the week, and. Uh, I worked out this big guard center from Air Force yesterday named Hawk Weimer. And Hawk is a first-team All-American. They were in the running for the Joe Moore Award this year as the, the O-line. It's the best O-line in the country. 
Hawk is an animal, and I'm excited to start working with him on top of some other guys that are in here busting their ass. So I'm, I'm damn excited about that. Um, but first and foremost, before we get into the the uh, the NFL draft and all the different things that play into the offseason, the NFL playoffs are set to start this weekend. You've got a Monday night wild card game for the first time ever, which is cool. Three straight days of football. You're not going to get me disagreeing with that ever. Uh, on the AFC side, Tennessee gets the bye. Kansas City hosts Pittsburgh. Buffalo hosts New England. And Cincinnati hosts the Raiders. Now, you look for upsets here. And the, the, the road team that can go on the road and get, get a W. After watching Pittsburgh earlier this year, like three weeks ago, go to Kansas City, I just don't see how Kansas City loses that game to Pittsburgh. Unless T.J. Watt, who, after missing two games this season, tied the NFL sack record at 22 and a half. Um, unless he goes off and has four or five sacks and, you know, strip sack fumble is picked up for a touchdown and they can just dominate offense or from a defensive line perspective and just whip Mahomes' ass like they did in the Super Bowl last year, Tampa Bay, like Tampa Bay did. That's the only way I see the Steelers even having a remote chance in this game. I just don't see how Kansas City's defense is going to allow one of the worst offenses I've seen make the playoffs in years. Uh, and look, they, they, the, the Steelers did what they needed to do to get into the playoffs. But at, at the same time, this is one of those instances where they won and still backed in. So I'm going to take Kansas City there. And I'll, I don't know what the point spread is. I don't give a shit. They're definitely going to win that game. Um, Buffalo, New England. This is a very intriguing game to me. This is the rubber match. Uh, New England won in Buffalo. Buffalo won in New England. They go back to Buffalo for the playoff game. I know that every Bills fan on earth, they say that they won in New England, but deep down in the back of their minds, you know, deep down inside, they're like, God damn it, we got Belichick in New England in the first round of the playoffs. Um, it's real hard to beat Bill twice in a year. In fact, it doesn't happen often at all. Uh, I can only speak from experience, but in, in 2005, we played, when I was with the Jets, we, we lost to the Patriots in the opener. They beat the bricks off of us. Well, this was 2006, excuse me. We lost to the Patriots in week two, but in week 10, we went to New England and beat them. And it was the last time they had a grass field. It was raining, and they changed the field to field turf afterwards because the field was so bad, and that was their excuse for losing. Um, I actually got a game ball for that game, which is pretty cool. Uh, but then we went back to New England for the playoff game, and they beat the fucking bricks off of us. And I'm not saying that we're that the, Bill, that the Bills were the Jets or the Jets the Bills. I'm just saying... It's really hard to beat Belichick twice in one year. Uh, he's going to have every trick in the book, and they're going to find weaknesses from Buffalo and exploit them. And if you're going to pick one, if you're going to pick one, I'd say that is the game this weekend where I can see the road team going in and beating uh, the home team. This is a division game. There's bad blood there. They hate each other, and I just don't see New England losing twice, even though Josh Allen is the better quarterback. So we'll see what happens there, but I'm taking the Patriots over the Bills uh, in the 6-3 matchup. And then the most intriguing game, in my opinion, is Cincinnati and the Raiders. Um, the Raiders do a great job of overcoming all this adversity and all this bullshit they had to overcome this year from Gruden to Ruggs to the Hobbs got a DUI the other night. Like, bro, take a car service. What the fuck is wrong with all you guys? To the injuries, to everything else, to you know, having a new head coach. Uh, Pashadi, I think is his name. He definitely deserves to be the coach there next year, especially if they go into Cincinnati and win. And they absolutely can't. Cincinnati doesn't have any experience here. They're 10 and 7. Both teams have the same record. Cincinnati just happened to win 10 and 7 and win the North. Um, 
you know, the, the key to this is Max Crosby and Indique, the other end, at, at Jefferson, the three technique, if he can play. But really, it's on Crosby. 98 is an absolute animal. And if Crosby can can eat against these tackles and he can hit Joe Burrow over and over and over again, the Raiders are going to go on the road and win. They can control the clock. Josh Jacobs is a, is a monster. Um, I think that this is going to be one of those games where the the effectiveness of Carr is put on display and finally, like, you know, he, he's given the credit that he deserves. No one gets less credit than Carr. I mean, he's a, he's always has a high quarterback rating. His touchdown interception rating is always high. He does a great job leading that team. He wants to be a Raider for life. I understand everybody hates the Raiders around Denver way, but you've got to respect the consistency and the leadership and just him being able to hold his team together this year with all the bullshit they've gone through. I almost want them to go on the road to Cincinnati and win. Now, Cincinnati is really good. I mean, Boyd and Higgins and Jamar Chase, what a great draft pick pairing him with Joe Burrow. Burrow's looking like he's on his way to being a top five quarterback really, really fast. I don't know who you move off that list. It might be like 5A and 5B and 5C. But goddamn, Joe Burrow can play. Uh, but when you hit him and you rattle him, that's how you beat him. So the the tackles are not great in Cincinnati. They're not terrible, but they're not great. And my, my key to this game is, just like I said in the, the Steeler-Kansas uh, City game, although Kansas City has good tackle play, it's about pressure. And can Crosby and those guys for the Raiders create enough to force them into, into bad decisions? So we'll see what happens uh, in, in this game. You know, the most people are going to take Cincinnati here. But I, I'm taking Kansas City, New England, and the Raiders this weekend on the AFC side. And then we'll talk about the AFC uh, Final Four next week as we get into it. The NFC, Green Bay gets the bye. Uh, and, you know, I, I heard Aaron Rodgers today talking about cleaning his house and reading some books and relaxing. Uh, and good, that's your right. But I know damn well you're not cleaning your own house and you probably got books on tape. Uh, but good talk. Um, you know, if he's just relaxing and they go out and play like shit, that that clip right there, him relaxing and not really taking this very seriously, uh, that's definitely going to bite him in the ass in the media. But there's one guy that doesn't give a shit. It's Aaron Rodgers. Um, so Green Bay gets the bye. Dallas hosts San Francisco in the 2-7. And this, I love watching Dallas-San Francisco playoff games. It takes me back to my youth, where it seems like they played every year for so many years in a row. Uh, this is going to be the, a great, great, great football game. I mean, I cannot wait to watch this game. Um, I loved the Niners when I was a kid, being from the Bay Area. And every time they had a big game, it seemed like they were playing the Cowboys. Um, and th this is just an, a, a great, it's aesthetically and visually, it's awesome. Uh, that place is going to be bumping. There's going to be 100,000 heads there uh, in, in Dallas, you know, supporting the Cowboys. This is a hard one for me. I don't know who really wins this game. It, a lot of it depends on Garoppolo, in my opinion. You know, I like I like both defenses. Dallas's defense is more pressure-based. They'll give up some plays, but they're going to make as many. They're going to turn the ball over and get sacks. San Francisco is just a very consistent, hard-nosed defense. It's going to make you earn everything. Uh, Bosa and Armstead and those boys up front, having a healthy D Ford, I mean, that, that helps a lot. They're going to be able to get after uh, – uh, Dak Prescott and the, and the Cowboys offensive line. Now, that said, I feel like the Cowboys have more weapons offensively. At the same time, though, Debo Samuel and Juszczyk and George Kittle are maybe the three best players at their position in the entire NFL. So uh, Debo Samuel might be the most 
uh, versatile player in the entire National Football League. That guy is an absolute stud of a player. Uh, George Kittle, uh, when he's healthy, there's nobody better at his position. He's the most physical and he's the best run blocker, which Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence and uh, Parsons are going to have their hands full trying to set the edge against 85 and Trent Williams, who's the best left tackle in football. So I think San Francisco underachieved to a, to a point. They finished 10 and 7. They easily could have been a 12 win team. The AFC West is super stacked. Um, you know, they, I really like the 49ers. And, and look, I'm taking the 49ers in this game. And I'm hoping Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't go out and shit all over himself when he plays bad and throws a pick. They're two and six. When he doesn't throw interceptions and protects the ball, they're seven and oh. So I'm going to ride with him doing a good job uh, in San Francisco going on the road and getting a huge W. Uh, Tampa Bay and Philly are the three six matchup. Tom Brady loves seeing the Eagles uh, until the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where he still scored 38 points or something. Uh, he used to love seeing the Eagles on a, on a, on a game by game basis. He chops them up, and I'd imagine he'll do the same thing. The only chance the Eagles have in this game is to control time of possession and run the ball down the throat of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay gets Levante David back. Leonard Fournette's coming back. They're getting healthy at the right time. And I think that you're going to see that defense and Todd Bowles flip a switch, and you're going to get that same defensive uh, mentality and defensive play that you saw last year uh, in, on that Super Bowl run where they run they won three straight road games and then hosted the Super Bowl as the road team and won that as well. Um, I think you'll see the same. Tom Brady doesn't lose in the playoffs, and he's not going to lose in the opener this year. Uh, I Look, it's a great story. Nick's, Nick Sirianni is a great coach for Philly. He's done a great job. But I do think the Tampa Bay gets this W at home. I feel like Philly's a year away. And look, with three first-round draft picks, Jalen Hurts has had a great year. I know this, but. You trade three first-round draft picks for one of these elite quarterbacks out there, Russell Wilson ends up in Philly or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, you, you could be cooking with gas there at that point, so we'll see. I'll take Tampa Bay in that one. And the last playoff game here before we get you out of here on the Chesney Unchained 140 is the Rams and the Cardinals on Monday night. First time it's been a Monday night football game for a playoff game ever. Uh, I like that they're doing it like this. I love three days of football this last week. Uh, with the playoffs Saturday and Sunday, or, or excuse me, with the regular season ending Saturday and Sunday and then the national title game Monday night. I will equally enjoy it Saturday and Sunday with playoff games and then this outstanding contest on Monday night. Um, this is Kyler Murray's first playoff game. I think it's Stafford like third or fourth. Uh, Stafford's never won a playoff game, so this is huge for both guys. Stafford threw 41 touchdown passes this year. Murray was on a on a track to win the MVP before he got hurt. I think that this, this game is pretty even on paper, but the last time I watched these two teams play in Phoenix, um, Aaron Donald was on a mission and Aaron Donald is unblockable. Max Garcia and those guys up front for Arizona can't block him. Go watch that game and watch how he abused those guys. The last time they played, I mean, it was ugly. Um, all that said, you know, Arizona has the great equalizer in Kyler Murray. You know, is, is Hopkins going to be 100% for the game? Is Connor going to be 100%? Is J.J. Watt going to come back and be able to contribute, so on and so forth? Look, this is going to be a great game, another divisional playoff game. Those usually don't happen very often, and we've got, what, two of them? With, with New England going to Buffalo and the Cardinals going to L.A., 
the Cardinals went to LA earlier this year and won, like just like Buffalo, Buffalo, New England, and then the Rams went to Phoenix and won a couple of weeks ago. So this is this is really a toss up in my opinion. I can't imagine the line is going to be uh, that high for either team. LA will probably get the nod because they're the home team, but don't be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury and Arizona pulls out all the stops and they do some things offensively that you didn't see them do uh, during the regular season with Kyler Murray and so on and so forth. I will equate this this year to Arizona going to Tennessee at the opener. Tennessee prepared for a lot of what Arizona was doing last year, and then Arizona came out and did totally different shit, and Kingsbury taught them, and they whooped their ass in the opener. Now, I understand there's a whole season uh, you know, behind the teams, but I would not put it past Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals to just go out and totally change their game plan up to see if they can go into L.A. and get a W. So I don't know if I trust Matt Stafford that much after uh, after he lost uh, the, the receiver from SC, Robert Woods. Uh, he's just been going after Cup constantly. Cup wins the triple crown for receivers, like 1,900 yards receiving, 18 touchdowns, and left league and catches with 140 or something, which is nuts. Um, good for him. That's a Division One AA white boy receiver that just got the triple crown. So, again, you know, it doesn't really matter where you play. It matters how you play. They'll find you. Uh, losing Robert Woods definitely hurt him. He's glued on Cup all the time. He's got deep threats to Jefferson and Beckham. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're not Robert Woods. So, I just don't trust Matt Stafford. And I think Arizona wins this game uh, on the road. So, that's, you know, that's only two of the, the six games where the home team wins. Uh, and look, that's pretty consistent. There's a lot of a lot of uh, opportunity here for the road team to go out and, and, and use the momentum and the extra motivation of everyone thinking they can't win the game uh, to go do exactly that, which is win it. So we'll see how it all goes. Uh, make sure you check out 60academy.com and at 60academy on Twitter and Instagram and then at DNVR Unchained. Uh, the Twitter page for the show. We'll be posting the show later. Thank you to Adam for all he does uh, producing the, the show uh, behind the glass there. And I'm your host, Matt McChesney. This is episode 140, and we are out. Talk to you next week, folks.